Welcome to the Healing While Black podcast, where we believe it's possible and necessary for Black people to heal, thrive, and celebrate our lives in the face of injustice. We'll highlight the often unheard voices and perspectives of Black people on a range of topics that impact our lives. I'm Misty. And I'm Kiana. And we're two Black women therapists with real lives trying to heal while Black and figure it all out too. Thanks for joining us. You ready? Mm-hmm. Hello, everyone. So today we are going to delve into the topic of systemic racism, right? This has been a topic that's been coming up all around the country, um, especially after the intense summer that we all just had and the intense 2020 we've all had. (laughs) year has been very intense. Um, And we want to take an opportunity to really you know, dig into this idea of systemic racism. The idea of systemic racism is something we as Black people have dealt with since birth, since we were brought to this country, since we were born in this country. It's something that is inescapable if you are a person of color, but specifically a Black person. Systemic racism is the backdrop to our lives. Hmm. That's a that's a, a great way of putting it. Um, absolutely. And I think because it's a backdrop, you know, it's something it's sometimes really hard for us to kind of pin down, right? Like, um, but where we are in a moment where we we're hearing it talked about, you know, a lot more. Um, and so we want to take that as an opportunity to really explore, you know, how systemic racism truly impacts Black people um, and to talk about it from the lens of healing. Absolutely, because there are a lot of times where when you live in a system of racism, you don't necessarily recognize that you're being impacted by a system of racism. Right. Right. So if I'm living in the hood all my life and that's all I can see. That's all I know. That's all I think I can have. I may be operating in a system of racism and not even aware of it. Right. So I think it's important for us to have the conversation. So we're all on the same page and we all understand what we're really dealing with, especially in this country. Exactly. Right. For the longest time, you know, been the kind of thing where, you know, people have said it, well, you know, racism doesn't exist. Right. And there's still people that we're hearing saying, you know, well, no, systemic racism, what is that? That doesn't exist, right? And so it kind of goes against us truly being able to understand what this is and and, and seeing, you know, that backdrop play out in our lives. Um, And if if we don't understand it, it's really hard to begin to recover from it, heal from it, you know, and grow uh, beyond that. So that's why we're here today. Okay. So what about the terms institutional racism, systemic racism, structural racism. Right, right. I think those are terms that are used very much interchangeably, right? Um, and are all leading to the same point, right? But they all, all lead to the same point, right? This, this broader kind of system, like a, a set of 
uh, collective ideas and beliefs, practices, dynamics, interactions um, that are ingrained in our society um, and give specific power and privilege to white people, right? While grossly disadvantaging and disempowering people of color. And understanding Um, that these systems, no matter what you call it, we're all created by white people for white people. So that's what makes it detrimental to anyone that isn't white. Yep. 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 All right. All right. Um, Today's episode Mm -hmm. may or, you know, may not be a little heavy for for some of our listeners. Um, So we want to just acknowledge that um, and welcome you that if at any you know, time you find some uncomfortable feelings coming up for you and you feel like you need to take a pause, we're cool with that. We understand that. Um, we also want to invite you to, to think about some comforting practices that you may do, you know, in your, you know, in your regular everyday life, you know, when you're, when you're met with some unease or, you know, something unpleasant, you know, a, a practice that will help, you know, get you back to, you know, a place of comfort. And so that's just something to think about if, you know, this conversation brings up, you know, any uncomfortable feelings for you. Right. Self-care is important. Right. Right. So the way we're going to kind of broach the topic of systemic racism is looking at it through a structure, the four eyes, which is something Misty, you have had some practice using or or working with in your past, correct? Yeah. Yes, yes. So so let's get into it. Yes. So when I was, um, I, I got introduced to, uh, to the four eyes of oppression uh, through some work that I was doing um, back in my hometown, Providence, Rhode Island, um, doing some community organizing work at DARE. Shout out to DARE and everyone that I got to work with there. <laughs> we were doing some community organizing work. And part of that work was educating ourselves about the, the various systems that, you know, impact our lives and our communities. Um, and the, the four eyes was a handy tool that we used to really understand complex systems, um, but in a way, you know, in a simpler way. Um, and so, so we're going to use that, the four eyes today, you know, that, that, that model to kind of break down, what systemic racism is. Um, So let's be clear. We're not talking about like two heads with four eyes. We're talking about four (laughs) letter I. Four letter I. Right. So these eyes, the four eyes are ideological, institutional, interpersonal, and internalized. Yes. We're going to break down each of these terms and discuss a little bit about what they are, how they show up in society and how we may have uh, experienced them ourselves. Let's get into it. All right. So the first one on the list is ideological, ideological racism. Um, It's an oppressive system of ideas embedded within society that gives power and privilege to white people while at the same time disempowering and disadvantaging other groups of people. Um, And because of these accepted ideas, white people end up believing that they have the right to control the other groups of people, right? Absolutely. So in that that definition, what I think is so important to, to point out 
is these are ideas. So basically these are ideas of superiority that white people have and had and use those ideas to create a system to keep themselves or they believe to keep themselves on top and everyone else mm-hmm. yep. underneath or on the bottom. Right. So it's an idea that was created. And then a lot of other people joined in and believe in that idea. Right. Absolutely. And so that's how it becomes like a whole kind of system of thought, right? Like a whole big idea, you know, ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how we see this, you know, I ideological kind of play out you know, in our world. So I think one area that, you know, we clearly see this playing out in um, is in our education system, right? All day. Absolutely. Right. And I think our kids pick up on it real quick. You know, like my kids were just today talking about some issue that, you know, they heard in one of their classes, you know, their history classes, but it's basically, you know, white history and white contributions kind of being highlighted right Uh, as the only contributions right right only positive effects on the country only white people could have done good things even though exactly this country was built on our backs but i digress exactly (laughs) no no digression (laughs) yeah right this kind of very eurocentric you know education kind of system that we have right where you know what is right becomes what is white (laughs) becomes the standard right and then there's this downplay of you know other groups you know this downplay of the histories and the contributions of of you know other folks of color and, and black people right um and so schooling really focuses on prioritizing you know white people and and kind of seeing them as like white a savior hero, right the white right. savior right this this you know these tropes of white heroism mm-hmm. um, so Mm-hmm. That's, that's one area it's so funny though but if we go back to the or if we stay on the educational uh topic i remember <laughs> when i entered into the master's program um to receive my social work degree master's in social work degree mm. and i was in a class and i was so heartbroken that even in a master's level program in the state of Maryland, we were just, we were yeah. still only learning how white people have made this country great. We yeah. learned about how white women started this and how white men did this and contributed yeah. to social work and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And I brought the topic up to the teacher. I was like, this is ridiculous. This right. is ridiculous that we're still regurgitating the same misinformation in a master's level pro like I I I think I cried that day stayed after class I cried I was so Mm. frustrated and so annoyed with whiteness just the the whitewashing of the world it is a very very frustrating uh thing when you're aware of what's going on right absolutely yeah and I I feel you on that I I I felt like in the same program, I was longing to hear more about Black, you know, other folks of color, you know's contribution to the mental health field, right? Because we only, like, I, I get, when I think about, like, all of the different uh, psychological theories, 
you know, and the the modalities that we've learned, really, they all literally came primarily from white men, right? You know what I mean? White people. And and these are white people developing theories, right? So literally thinking ideas, right, Mm -hmm. that are kind of being put out there. Um, And and so even just like the basis of our our work as therapists, you know, is, is grounded in, you know, you know, these white ideas of, of, and I won't say healing, but like these white ideas of, of mental health, right. right. Of development and, and, and stuff like that. It's and, so funny. You say that I have, I know this person, this guy that really is irritated at the fact that I'm a therapist, right. <laughs> he just, just <laughs> puts him in a different place. He just cannot mental health is just not his jam. And much, much of his, um, uh, issue with it is because of that he's like what are you teaching these people or how are you helping these people if what you have learned was not created for these people essentially mm-hmm. and what the the conversation I have with him is it's the whole ass reason I became a therapist right. was because I'm going to take the information that everyone has and then I'm going to make it work for my people right So I learn a modality, I learn um, a a, a strategy, and I understand my audience. I understand what will work, and I I believe I have an understanding of what will they will connect with. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna try all things, but it is taking that idea, mental health, taking the idea that mental health is for everyone, but making it specific to the group of people that I feel need it the most. And that's what's left out of the educational system. Those ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and just right before we move on to the next, next piece, I, I just want to point out, I think Oren, you know, in our, in our last episode talked about, right. He was leaning, even though kind of like the system, you know, was very kind of Eurocentric. He was leaning on actually contributions from black folks around mental you know mental health stuff right and so there you know there there is stuff that's out there right and you and I are trying to lean you know a bit more into that as well but it's out there but the problem is because of white supremacy it doesn't make it into the mainstream information that's being taught on any level elementary right right, you know secondary it, it just it is not it's very separate We know it exists, but bringing it in to what our kids are being taught is the important part that white supremacy does not allow for. Right, right. Um, Another um, area are, you know, all these ideas that are out there about Black people, right? Um, and, And, you know, one idea that comes, you know, big in my mind is, you know, the idea that Black men are dangerous, right? Or are inherently, you know, a problem, or criminals, right? And I think that's that's an idea that's been kind of developed and has sort of evolved over the years, but we still see it, we still see it present. Absolutely see it present. We see right. black men and women being killed for literally just being black. Mm-hmm. And right. that that danger that perceived danger is has been created out of the idea of white supremacy because if you're black and you're if you're black and i know that black means criminal that means i can do anything i need to do to keep my quote-unquote world safe exactly right right if you're just criminal by you being black and male right then you know i get to treat your body as right as um, i choose right as i choose i get to be violent to you 
right? And so I think, right, that idea of sort of black male dangerousness and criminality, it creates a whole host of problems in our society. And the idea in itself takes away the black man's humanity. So now that I don't have to look at you as a human and just a dangerous criminal, I can treat you like an animal. I can treat you like however I decide because I've taken away your humanity with the simple belief and idea that all you are is a criminal. All you could ever be is dangerous. Right, right. Um, I know another area where the idea of white is right shows up mm -hmm. <laughs> and that is the beauty industry, beauty standards mm -hmm. or what society defines as beauty is all has always been the closer to white, the better, the closer to white, the more acceptable. Yep. And so these are ideas, you know, that are out there. Um, and I think we're all right. We're all impacted by these ideas, but it's important to understand that these, this is sort of like the underlying messages that are kind of reoccurring, you know, in, you know, these other eyes that we're going to talk about. Um, and, and I'll just say, you know, before we move on, I think part of our work has to be challenging these ideas, you know, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but I think, you know, me getting to learn that, you know, there was a such thing as ideological racism in many ways was empowering because it helped me to realize that things that I thought were kind of like, just, they were just like that. They just were right. These, these ideas that, you know, we don't question, you know, and become ingrained in us. Like it helped me to realize that those problematic one, that those ideas were problematic and that too, there were damn ideas that someone else created. And I have the same kind of power just as those folks that created them to create some new ones, right? That are more accurate and that are more, you know, wholesome. Um, and so I, I wanna leave us, you know, help us to think hopefully, you know, about ideological racism that we, we actually have the power to reject those ideas and we have the, the, the power to live in whole new ones and whole different, you know, different Absolutely. ones, you know, that, that really serve us. What I think in what you said is so important is what we, what we're discussing today is not an acceptance of what occurs in the world. It's a reality check of what occurs in the world. This is what is really happening. Right. And knowledge is power. The more you know about what's really going on, you can then make informed decisions on how you want to move, the ideas you want to create, the change that you want to see in society. You ha Having this knowledge, knowing what ideological racism is, empowers us to then break down the system. Exactly. Today, I'd like to take a moment and shout out a Black-owned woman business, uh, Zine Custom Creations, and I want to thank them for supplying me with personalized gifts for a celebration of my best friend. Check her out at zines underscore creations. That is Z-E-E-N-S underscore custom creations. Check her out on IG for all your customization needs. All right, what's the next I on the list? All right, so it's institutional. Okay. Um, and this is the one I think that gets a little fuzzy that isn't as clear um, too. I mean, along with ideological, you know, like you said before, you know, there is, um, it gets interchanged a lot with structural 
and systemic, right? Institutional. Right. Um, but, you know, the idea behind institutional is that it, it's, you know, how the ideas become stable parts of our society um, by becoming ingrained in our institutions and, you know, institutions such as the media, our medical and mental health, you know, uh, institutions, our criminal justice system. Education, housing, banking, mm -hmm. employment. Absolutely. All of those areas, right? Those are institutions, um, things that we all know about, right? That we, that have become just parts of our lives that we all interact with Absolutely. to some degree. Absolutely. I'm not sure that I can think of one institution in our society where racism does not play a role. Like right. if I actively <laughs> sat here for about four hours, I'm not sure I could come up with one. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's dig into that. Like, what are some of them institutions that you're like thinking about? Well, like that? we just, we just mentioned housing as an example, right? Uh, racism mm -hmm. in housing. Mm -hmm. We can look at it from a historical standpoint, if we talk about um, mm -hmm. redlining, yes, where Absolutely. Black folks yep. were designated to certain areas and not allowed in others. Exactly. The effects of that is still seen today. Yeah, right. Like the, the whole redlining, I think there have been even like recent studies that have shown how the impact of redlining, just what you were just saying, Kiana, has kind of has contributed to the kind of state of poverty, you know, among Black folks in this country. Absolutely. Presently. Some of the areas that were marked back then are still low-income mm -hmm. neighborhoods today. And the only, exactly. honestly, the only way those neighborhoods will probably flip is if they are gentrified. Right. And, and that's, in, and that's, that's really interesting. Right. I mean, I think what, and just to explain to folks like yes. what redlining was, right. Right. The, the government essentially, I mean, this has been outlawed, <laughs> outlawed. <laughs> that's, that's Rhode Island coming out. This has been outlawed. <laughs> we uh, put ours where they don't belong. Um, so, right. I mean, I think the, the, the practice of redlining and other, um, you know, racist housing practices has technically been outlawed. However, um, they still have a, an impact and some things were still kind of practiced in a, you know, different in a different way. way later, but redlining in particular was, it, it made it really difficult for black people to get loans um, to buy homes. Um, because what they would do is they would draw these color coded lines around certain neighborhoods on a map um, and they were color coded, right? So if you had, a green line that was like a green light. Yes, go for that. Those were the those greens were like kind of drawn around white, predominantly like white communities that were seen as up and coming, right? Whereas, and then there's like some other, you know, gradations of coloring. Um, and then when you got down to the red lines um, communities, those were predominantly black and Latino communities. And they were basically barred from getting loans. Like they would just, it, you know, loaners were, or what do you call them? Uh, banks were basically discouraged from getting, giving, you know, black folks that lived in those communities loans to buy homes. So they were not able to kind of move into other communities, right? And they were certainly not getting a loan to kind of go move into a green line community, a, you know, a, a white community. Um, and so what you end up seeing is these deeply segregated communities. Right. And a lot of um, difference in obviously the black red line communities were not provided with good resources. Right. And so over time, they become deeply impoverished Absolutely. communities. Right. Um, 
and and those still exist now as kiana said we now have this whole process of gentrification that's happening and so that's where what what's happening is in, in communities that used to be predominantly black or latino um or you know poor essentially um there's this new influx of primarily you know affluent white folks coming in and raising sort of the property values of in the community and essentially um, raising them so high so that black folks have to move out, right? They can no longer afford to live in the communities that they have lived in, that they were trapped in, <laughs> you know what I mean? For at a certain point and, and now that they have lived in, you know, for, for such a long time. Right. I was listening to um, Tiffany Aliche on her podcast and she was discussing how her how she had her house appraised and she felt that her house was appraised at a lower rate mm. just because she was black i remember when i was buying my condo there were a lot of times i felt a certain kind of way going to look at different places i was looking at houses condos mm. all of that but you can go to go into a space where there are people and feel that no nah, they are not interested and yeah. giving this home to a black person mm -hmm. they're not interested in any of this interaction just because mm -hmm. i am a black person so in every sense that i can think racism impacts well it's sort of like is housing inequality right essentially is the result of right systemic racism yeah and we know that you know home ownership that's that's the one of the main ways that we build wealth you establish and build wealth, wealth yeah. in this country right and so right not having access to that historically has really hurt black folks yeah and another place where we see institutional racism impacting black people mm -hmm. a lot is the criminal Absolutely. justice system yes black people make up 14 percent of the united states population but 40 percent of the prison yeah, just, population just about if that don't right. scream racism, I, I don't know. know what does. Right. It's, it's crazy. Um, yeah. I mean, when I, I got to do, you know, some organizing, got to learn a lot about, you know, some of the um, kind of like just, just the legal system, <laughs> you know, um, around, you know, the criminal justice system. And, and yeah, the, I mean, there's just a lot of problems. And I think it, part of it starts with the, the policing practices, right? Black communities Absolutely. are heavily surveilled, right? Um, there's a lot of racial profiling, you know, that goes on. Um, I, I think around the whole recent conversation about defunding the police, a lot of people were getting upset because, you know, they're like, well, you know, how, how can we defund the police? You know, the police need resources to do their jobs, you know, and I think they were just really getting away from the, from the, you know, the, the real idea is the whole the point, point about, you know, <laughs> and the idea is that, right, like we're spending all of this money to literally watch over and terrorize poor communities, right? Poor black communities, but right? Why don't we absolutely take some of that money away from just literally watching and terrorizing, you know, folks and, and actually put them into the communities, these communities so that they can, you know, they can grow and flourish. Right. Um, right. and yeah. And I think that's, that's the whole idea around that, but of course that's not, that's not what's happening. 
right and because of ideological racism that idea that you're a criminal if you're black plays into this because it's it doesn't matter what you did what you do you can go to court you can stand next to billy as a black man and billy's a white man and you going down as a black man and billy's going to get a slap on the wrist that doesn't make sense to me right exactly i don't know i don't think i know a black person that hasn't had some kind of you know relationship or (laughs) connection somehow to the criminal I really call it the criminal injustice system, (laughs) but um, yeah, you know, I mean, I think about just kind of my family's experience. I grew up going to the prison, you know what I mean? To visit family members, you know, um, and I've watched people that I love dearly, you know, have to interact at really early ages, you know, in the system, right? Before they even, you know, became adults. Right. And, and sort of like once you get sort of in the system, it's really hard to come out, you know, uh, once you get one something on your record, you know, then you get some probation right. and then it's, it's suddenly like you're, you're just incarcerated no matter what. Right. Like whether you're inside or outside. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. And even if you're inside and get outside and then they put you on a ridiculous long uh probationary period you're on probation for three oh, years girl, just three years you, I, I, most folks i know years. got lots more years than that no no no, no. but what i'm yeah. saying is like they'll go in you'll go in for a crime and then you'll come mm-hmm. out and you're still essentially locked down because you're on this ridiculously long probationary yeah. period where if right. jaywalk one slight infraction that we're all bound to do and you're sitting longer than you were the first time so this system is created to work in the way white people who operate in the idea of supremacy have set it up i'm gonna keep you in this cycle you're gonna be the hamster you're gonna run this wheel because i'm not gonna let you out of it is what they believe they can do and what they believe to be true of black people black people yeah exactly right and then and then it leads into sort of like actually our economic you know kind of system a bit right because you know folks get out of prison and then especially if you have a felony like you it's really hard to get work you know it might be easier if you're white right because they might they'll see you a little different right you know but if you're black you know you've already faced employment discrimination period right but now that you have a, Mm -hmm. a a conviction you know you're you're definitely you know and so i yeah it's you know, there's a lot of work to be done, you know, in that area. And there's a lot of great work happening. I, you know, I want to just highlight, you know, good work happening, you know, around the country. There is great work happening. I agree with that. But I know even me as a wife of a Mm -hmm. black man, just the, 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 the criminal injustice system, (laughs) um, keeps me on edge when my husband leaves this house to go mm-hmm. do anything in his car driving mm-hmm. anywhere the anxiety that i feel the level of yeah. concern i experience just because i want this black mm-hmm. man to return home to me unscathed right. is ridiculous i i've i've gotten a little bit better about kind of dealing with that anxiety but when i was younger it would cause arguments in, mm-hmm. between us because if you, if I don't know where you are, in my mind, you could be dead because the police mm. could have killed you. 
And it is, it isn't so much that I needed to know where you were at every moment, but if you're in that car and you're driving while black, or if you're out hanging with your boys and you're doing that while black, I just don't, I didn't have a sense of mm-hmm. comfort right. in that. And now that I have mm-hmm. a black son, yeah. I have to go through that again. Granted, he he don't go nowhere without mommy or daddy. But <laughs> when he gets to that point, that is something, that's another reality that I'm going to have to get yes. through again. Oh, I feel you on that. That's that's ugh. just that unsettling feeling that you talk about. And that's a constant thing, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's, let's move into the next one. Um, there, there's a lot of institutions that we can kind of talk about and kind of demonstrate how um, racism plays out in there um but we're going to move on to interpersonal so interpersonal racism is what white people do to people of color up close that'd be like Mm -hmm. racist jokes it'd be like stereotypes beatings harassment threats a whole range of personal acts of discrimination yep and something else that falls into interpersonal racism would be microaggressions yep absolutely right and so Right. Interpersonal racism um, is one of the areas that I mean, we're kind of more familiar with that, you know, like those blatant sort of acts of racism, you know, that we see or the microaggressions, mm-hmm. which are the kind of more subtle things that happen, you know, but they but, you know, they, they happen. These are the things that we're more familiar with when it comes to defining what racism is. Right. An example of a microaggression could be a white person asking a black person, why are you so loud? Why are you so animated? Can't you just calm down? (laughs) Like my blackness is too black because it's not that of the white culture. So I haven't assimilated enough because I'm still loud, Kiana. Absolutely. Right. And that and that highlighting that and pointing that out is the microaggression to point out the fact that you're right. not like me and my way is the right way. And why are you so like real. that? <laughs> yeah. I think for me, you know, I feel like it probably comes on the flip side of it, right? Like it's like, okay, I'm light enough to kind of assimilate a little bit, right? Into into some aspects mm-hmm. of, of, you know, of white culture. Uh, not fully, obviously, you know, not, not really, but in spaces, people are kind of surprised. You know, they might say, Oh wow, you're you're so articulate. Mm, <laughs> um, right. Like, oh you, you know, wow, you're that was so articulate. Or yeah, you're you're so well spoken. Um because imagine that black people cannot, you know, be mm, well spoken. Right. And right, what like, is what well is spoken, that? actually? Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, um, I mean, I do know, right? I, I think it's a touchy right. topic, right? Because I'm like, oh, I get that. Like, oh, wow, you're, you know, you're not like the others. And mm. I'm like, first of all, you should know I come from the hood. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm like, <laughs> you may not be able to tell that in some ways, you know, and I get that, you know, and, and part of the reason why I speak like this is, be- is because your ass won't give me a job if I can't, if I don't, right? You know what I mean? Like, and, you know, I, right. And so I, I think I've, grappled with that a bit you know what I mean like okay you know those those side interesting comments um but you know I think I I I get the flip side of it too you know like in an in a job interviewing process um with an employer um somebody who ultimately became my boss asked me on three different occasions whether my children had the same father 
Like he had the audacity to to like ask me that question. The audacity of Caucasity, <laughs> girl. Yeah, and so we we know where Excuse that me, was sir? coming from, right? You know, like okay, Absolutely. yeah, I I got a baby daddy. Maybe I just got one, but I know you think that I probably because I have multiple children that I probably have many, and if I did. That's none of your motherfucking business. And, you know, because, you know, only black women have m- multiple children or multiple right. baby daddies. That's only right. a black thing. Right. Because, right. you know, Becky ain't out here. Slaying right. it. But anyway, um, I fully get that. It's the expectations that white culture has that they then make the standard. Right. So. Right what I do as as me, as my person, is I actively work to, (laughs) okay, let me give you an example. I used to work at this engineering company. Hmm. I mean, I could count probably the black people on two hands, maybe, maybe. It was a big ass company. And uh, we would go out to happy hour a lot after work. So we would go out to happy hour. When I first started going, you know, I kind of feeling my way through it and like oh you know and then I got to a point where I was like no no I am me (laughs) this is Kiana if you want to drink at the bar with Kiana you're drinking at the bar with Kiana you're not (laughs) drinking at the bar with whoever you want me to be because Mm -hmm. the person that I am here is the same person I am at work so what I am is loud what I am is animated (laughs) what I am is opinionated (laughs) and what I am is self-aware and I don't have a problem expressing that so what mm-hmm. the way I looked at it was and you may have an expectation of me like I'm black and I'm loud but what I am is black and loud and don't give no f's I'm gonna be that regardless <laughs> I'm not gonna let your expectation or your stereotype of me define how I operate or who I am mm, that's right and that is a constant yeah in my life as a black person that's I don't know up. that that's a constant in other other for other people but for me as a black woman, I have to actively be me. I have to actively yeah. remind myself not to assimilate into this standard, into this culture that they want me to be. Because yes. I'll be goddamn, the last thing I'm going to do is give you what you want. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's a, for me, that's a highlight. That's a high point, you know, because I, I think we all feel the pressure to, you know, conform, conform and I mean, part of, and I think a, so much of it is because it, it has to do with us surviving and, and, you know, getting by, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, certain choices that we make there, there's some, uh, there's some consequences that will impact Absolutely. us in a material way. Right. You Absolutely. know what I mean? And so I, I do remember being really desperate for jobs and like yep. putting on my whitest, sound on the phone Mm -hmm. right my whitest voice on the phone right and knowing and feeling like I need this damn job like you know what I mean like um even looking for a damn place to to rent right I treat that as a job interview right and Mm -hmm. I have to choose sometimes whether I take my children with me or not because I'm like are they gonna see me as a you know, like as a single mother who's right. la 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 la, right? And I'm and I'm a, I'm black, and you know, like already. And so, I, I I manage how I present myself, right? Right. You know, and I and I think a lot of us do that. Um, yeah, or it's, fail to do the same thing. You know, 
I'm doing um, the same thing. I'm managing how I present myself, mm-hmm. except I'm pushing me out and you're, and you were pulling you in, but it's still mm-hmm. that it's, we have to think about it regardless. Yeah, yeah, it has to be some, we can't just exist in this world. Like they do. We mm-hmm. have to make a conscious decision. Either I'm going to play by your rules or I'm not going to play by your rules. And if I do play by your rules, what am I losing? Mm-hmm. And if I don't play by your rules, what am I losing? What am I losing? And when I don't play by your rules, whatever I lost, I'm willing to lose. The next and final eye of racism is internalized racism. And that is defined as basically when a group of people start to believe racist ideas that are present in society that were put there by the oppressor. And then the oppressor no longer Mm -hmm. has to do much work to perpetuate Mm -hmm. those beliefs and those ideas within that system. Right. Basically, that's saying believing the racist ideas that white people tell us about black people and then believing that about ourselves. So if a white person says I'm not beautiful because I'm dark skin, Mm -hmm. if I have internalized that racism, I then believe that I am not beautiful because I am not almost white skinned. Yeah, it's it's those ideas that we accept about ourselves. Right. And we also believe to be true, not just about ourselves, but the other folks in our group as well, right? Um, and and the, the thing is that we do it unconsciously oftentimes, right? Like we're not aware that we're actually, we're actually, we've internalized it, right? It, it's become so ingrained in us that we just kind of automatically do it now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you could think of an example of how internalized racism kind of shows up in the world. Hmm. What are you talking about? The boondocks, Uncle Ruckus? Now, Uncle Ruckus is a perfect example (laughs) of internalized racism. If you don't know who Uncle Ruckus is, he is a character that was on an animated series, The Boondocks. Mm -hmm. And his Mm -hmm. name was Uncle Ruckus. It could have been Uncle Tom because what he loved more then anything in the world was white people Mm. and everything he hated in the world was associated with black people. That is a kind of pop culture example of, uh, of internalized racism. It was used in a comic sense or comedic sense, but that is the the best example of internalized racism. But another way, if I think about it, um, the other part of internalized racism where once it's internalized, you then use those same ideas against your own people. Hmm. That mm-hmm. makes me think of colorism Ooh, within uh, the black community. Yeah, that, that's a right, right. So so what's let's just break down what colorism is. I mean, you know, I'm sure folks have have heard of that, but it's this this concept that um, that, you know, the lighter you are, the closer you are to whiteness. Right. The, the sort of better off you are. Right. Or, you know, the, the, the more the prettier you are, the more beautiful you are, you know, physically. Right. right? Um, and so there's this. It's this light skin, dark skin kind of battle, you know, within, within the black, the black community. community. Right. Um, yeah. There's this sort of internalized hatred, you know, of our of our skin tones. I mean, I I remember when we were young, you know, growing up and boys, black guys being like, mm, I only like light skin girls. You know, I only want a light yep. skin girl. And yeah. when we when I was younger, I didn't understand that it was internalized racism 
But what mm-hmm. I knew was, oh, you don't like black people. Like you, if you're right. like, oh, you know what I mean? Like it was yeah, because their idea was if they were light skinned, they were better. And that is a right. idea mm-hmm. put out by white supremacy to make us feel less than and, and inferior. It is absolutely. And I mean, and some folks buy into that, you know, like, you know, some light skinned folks would buy into it. And that's them internalizing that racism. Exactly. And so that it's, it's, it's important to, to pinpoint that, you know, um, I think, you know, I mean, I've, I've totally internalized a lot of ideas, you know, um, and even though, right, like I'm light skinned and all that stuff, I did not internalize the idea that I was beautiful right. Or that I was like close to whiteness. Um, and it was, you know, quite the opposite. Like I felt actually, I remember, you know, how as a kid, you have these, like, you know, this imagination and it's, it's big. And I, so I used to literally think that I was like, I'm the ugliest thing in the world. Aww. Right. Like that was like my, you know, those thoughts. And so I, um, yeah, like, I do remember feeling that. And <laughs> I do remember also wishing I had long hair, you know, mm-hmm. um, and putting a, pillowcase on my head and standing in the mirror and like waving it back and forth um I remember getting offended when one of my um high school boyfriends um who uh at, you know he's like how come your hair never grows <laughs> uh, wait was he white and I was like because I'm black you know like <laughs> like I didn't really like I didn't know what else to say you know like I was like pissed <laughs> Bet you he asked you that again. I just, I remember like feeling insecure about, you know, yeah. being a black girl in the world, you know, no yeah. matter how, you know, light skin I was. Absolutely. And, and what, what you said that is so very interesting is a point to how internalized racism plays out. So there's never a winner for black people, even right. in that <laughs> system, because let's, you were the light skin, what is considered right better but right. you still weren't white right so you white. still weren't right I remember for me specifically um <laughs> before I had my son luckily it was before I had my son I remember being or saying oh I'm definitely gonna spank my kids <laughs> because yeah. for yeah. a few reasons but one of the reasons being that's what black folks do we spank our kids into submission. Like you gonna do what I mm. say or you won't catch these hands or this belt or this whip or whatever it is. Mm. And to me, that that was black culture. That's what it what it was. That's mm-hmm. black people spank their kids. And if you didn't spank your kids, you get bad kids. And the only way to get good kids was to be to spank whatever. I believe that idea. Well, no, I know that idea came from slavery. And how Black people historically have been treated and what was used to keep them in line. And that was exactly. to beat them. And what I didn't realize, which is the part of internalized racism, is that was that's why I thought that. It's because right. it was ingrained in me historically mm-hmm. that this is how you treat Black people. Yeah, that makes Now, that luckily makes for my son, once I had his behind, I was like, well, I'm not going to beat him. Well, how could I do that to my baby? I'm not going to uh, be now. So you don't have that that historical trauma, right? You weren't traumatized by the beating, so it didn't get passed down. So that's beautiful, right? And that's how we stop it too, right? That's how right. we kind of, you know, we break that that cycle, you know, um, 
it, it really was, isn't it wasn't even me who broke the cycle it was my mom because she was like spanking my kids is not an option she did smack right. me in my mouth once because you know, I could get a little fresh back in the day, uh-huh. but uh, <laughs> but it was just, it was her conscious decision that, right. that I'm not going to do okay. what was done to me, you know? Right. Absolutely. And that's, that's beautiful. So that can happen folks, you know, uh, we can change the course. Um, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Right. You know, so it still yeah. is a very dangerous, dangerous. Yeah system to operate in it is the more we become aware of I think a lot of things though of our greatness of our strength of our ability to be those things outside of the definitions given to us by white people yep the stronger we become as people the more healed we become the more healed our community becomes and then society has no choice but to get in line there we go there we go Right. So we, we have to acknowledge that we are beautiful, that we are smart, that we are, you know, those things. And, and not because we're just moving against what other people said we're not, but exactly. because that's actually true. You know what I mean? Like, that's actually real. That part. You know? That yeah. part. So, right. Those are the eyes of, of oppression and the eyes of racism. Right. Uh, we just kind of laid it out. Ideological, institutional interpersonal, internalized. So the reason why we wanted to discuss systemic racism today is because it is so important for us as Black people to be aware and informed Mm. because we are brought into a system and into a society that expects us not to know and they do their damnness to keep the information from us. Yeah. No longer... Are we operating with the wool pulled over our eyes? We want to be as aware. We want to be as informed. And mm-hmm. when we are those two things, knowledge is power. We absolutely become powerful. We become change makers in our own situations, in our own lives. Exactly. Right. And our sense of awareness of, of you know, these things that we're oftentimes unconscious of, you know, these issues playing out in the background when we bring them to the forefront and are able to, you know, name them and point them out and, and, and see them for what they are. It gives us a, a way better chance at working on healing from them. Right. Um, and so that's, I think, part of the idea in us talking about systemic racism and the different components of it, you know, through these, the four eyes of it. Um, we, we really want to foster a sense of healing that there is, you know, there, there's so much here that we, that's been heavy and that we need to grow and, and, you know, move from. Right. And just because it, something has existed, doesn't mean it has to continue to exist. Mm, And the only way to make that change, like you just said, is just having, being able to identify having this knowledge of self-awareness of how and who we are. All right. So as we said, at the end of each episode, we're going to have some takeaways, some highlights from the episode that we want to end with. Right. So let's review real quick. The four eyes are ideology, internalized, institutionalized, and interpersonal mm-hmm. racism. And the thing that we want to connect at the end of this episode for this takeaway is all of these systems of racism 
have a huge impact on our mental health mm-hmm. as Black. Race is, it's important to understand racism impacts us on a daily basis. We encounter it in so many aspects of life. We talked about a bunch here today, and there's a gazillion more <laughs> that we can talk about of how racism right. And so us. it's not just kind of like the the typical way that you know we've come to understand racism as somebody calls you you know the N word or us seeing folks being beat down. That's all part of it for sure. It's not just the typical kind of interpersonal racism that we you know that we've kind of come to understand we're that we're more familiar, familiar with. with. Right. You know, racism is multi-layered right um and it is important for us to be able to point that out so yeah so maybe no one has called you the n-word but did you ever think that the community you live in that that's actually brought on by systemic racism or you know have you ever you know thought that you know your brother or your cousin or, or somebody is in prison right and that is part of systemic racism right um somebody got arrested you think about issues in the education system, you know, black kids getting suspended at higher rates, right? Things like that. Those are, you know, mm-hmm. those are things that we don't necessarily think about as racism. And actually what we end up doing is we end up kind of blaming the folks that are hated there, that in are the in the system, system right? Um, and and right. sure, you know, we have to take responsibility for our pieces of that, you know, but it's much bigger 100%. than our own decisions, Absolutely. Especially when these decisions are being made for Mm -hmm. us a lot of times and we're not aware. We're not aware that there are other options or other things happening for different Mm -hmm. groups of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that is definitely what we're trying to get at today. Right. And I think I kind of mentioned it in the beginning, you know, getting to understand, you know, these oppressive forces and sort of the eyes of racism. um, I I know it can be heavy, but for me, it actually opens up a sense of hope, right? Because I have that, I I, kind of get to know, you know, what's what's actually out there, right? Um, And so I'm able to figure out how I can move and what I can do to kind of make some changes um, in my own life you know, how, how can I kind of reject these ideas? You know, how can I work within my community to, you know, to make some changes so that these systems don't impact us so deeply as we move into the future? Um, and so for me, it, it opens up a whole lot of hope. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Absolutely. Absolutely. In our episode one, um, we kind of left folks with a question. Um, and so we want to do that again. And we want to ask you, um, just as Kiana and I have reflected throughout this episode um, about the ways that, you know, these aspects of racism have impacted our lives, we want to ask you, how do you see the four eyes play out in your life, in your community, in your family? We would love to know. Hit us up and let us know on IG at HWB podcast. Or you can send us an email at healingwhileblackpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye.